like get to know Andrew here for a second, okay? So these are some yes. of my favorite things, okay? Calm, calm down for a second. Now, I'm going to have to tell you, when I put something up there, it's okay. You don't need to applaud. You don't need to say boo. You don't need to like... These are just my favorite things. Things is when people think I'm smart. 
Another one of my favorite things is alone time because it might hurt some of your feelings. I'm not a people person. Uh, and alone time is important to me. Uh, my house. I really like my house. Um, I also really like hiding. Anyone else hide? Not like hide and seek, like hiding. I really like hiding the things in my life that I don't want people to see. Um, I really like Tara. having secret places in my heart that no one else knows about. I like I like my family a lot. If you knew me very well, you would know that, that I hold my family very close. Uh, I have, as many of us do, I have a very fond affection for my phone. Um, and I have a very fond affection for significance. I want my life to be significant. I want my life to mean something. I want my life to hold some kind of value in the eyes of each of you. And I get in trouble for this all the time because your opinion of me shouldn't matter to me, but it does all the time. Along with all these other things, there are some of my favorite things. Now, why do I, why do I give you this list? Why do we start with this? I want you to see for me at least Here's some of my favorite things. I want you to think, just imagine for a second, what would your whiteboard look like? What are the things in your life that are your favorite things? The things that hold often first, second, third place in your life, depending on where you're at, who you're with, what season you're in. These are some of my things that hold first and second and third place in my heart. Now, what we're going to talk about tonight is that Jesus tells us that the cost to follow him might be giving up all these things. Let me say that again. The cost to follow Jesus may mean giving up all these things. Now, it doesn't mean giving them up as in I won't ever be able to go to an Auburn football game. But what it does mean and what we're going to talk about is never can they have first place in my heart. Not even my family, not even my job, not even Tara can have first place in my heart. Jesus has called each one of us to have him and him alone in first place. Go ahead and open to Luke 14. Luke 14, and we're going to be in verse 25. All right, Luke 14, starting in verse 25, says, Now great crowds accompanied him, and he turned and said to them, Okay. Here's how this is going to work. I'm going to pause in some moments because I want you to get the progression of what's about to happen. Okay. So this first verse, verse 25. Now, great crowds accompanied him. 
And he turned and said to them, okay, why, you should always ask this about the moments in the Bible where you're, where you're confused about why you're getting detail. Why in the world is this important for us to know? Why can't he just go to verse 26 and say, if anyone comes to me, why do we have to know verse 25? Well, verse 25 tells us what? It tells us that great crowds were following Jesus. It's important that you and I know when we're reading this passage that there were lots of people who were following Jesus. I should say accompanying Jesus. The word choice is very specific here. There were many people who were accompanying Jesus. The word also can mean that we're going along with Jesus. There was a great crowd of people who were just going along with Jesus. And he pauses and turns to them. I want to ask you this. Have you ever followed a trend or a fad before? Maybe you're following right now, one right now and you don't even know it. We actually talked about this this weekend, about what the next trend is going to be, right? I wanted to be ahead of the game. I'm like four or five trends behind the game. Um, but have you ever followed a trend or a fad for a bit? You know, you start to follow it. Maybe you start reading blogs or articles or you start following certain people on Instagram or TikTok. Whatever it is, you're following a trend that's out there. And you're trying to figure out what? Like, what's this about? Like, this, it's, this new, it's, it's got this new shininess to it. Like, I want some of that. And you've invested possibly a lot of words into it to the people that you know. You've possibly invested money into it. If it's a clothes or a, um, it could be a material thing, whatever that trend is, right? Let's just go with, let's go with uh, shoes right now. Maybe there's a trend in shoes. And you have decided, I'm going to jump on board that trend. And I'm going to buy that new set of Reeboks that are awesome. Right? Guys, Reeboks can come back. Why not? Everything else has come back. No? Okay. Well, we're just going with Reeboks for right now. Okay? All right. So you're going along with it. That's what, that's what I want you to hear, though. This trend that's happening right now is the same thing that I'm talking about with Jesus. Jesus is a trend. And that's why the word accompanied or going along with makes most sense here. People were just going along with a trend. Jesus was super trendy to hang out with at this moment. That's why it tells us great crowds were following him. Jesus was a cool fad and trend. And this is why a great crowd followed him. All right, next. Verse 26 says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus is making something super clear here. There is a can and a cannot. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not hate father, mother, wife, children, their own life cannot be my disciple. This is kind of harsh, right? 
I want you to think about this too. So (laughs) Jesus is walking along, right? These people were just following him. And he just turns in a moment and says this. Okay? That would have been strange, right? Jesus is walking along and pauses. And they're probably ready for what? Another story, another parable, another wise saying. And Jesus turns and says, if you don't hate every single person in your life and even your own life, you can't be my disciple. Now, one of the things we have to understand as we read this, because many of you possibly are thinking this right now. I don't think we're supposed to hate people. I definitely don't think we're supposed to hate ourselves. So what is he really saying here? Is he saying actually to hate other people and to hate ourselves? He's not. In this day and age, and this is important, guys. Again, when you're reading, especially uh, as Jesus is speaking and going along, it's important to know the Jesus that's speaking. This Jesus is Jewish. This Jesus would not know English. This Jesus grew up as a person of Nazareth. He grew up poor. He grew up a carpenter and he spent 30 years of his life in insignificance. And just recently, crowds have started to follow him. And now he is turning and saying this. He would have known what he he meant by the word hate. And that is this, to love less. So let me say this. Do you love less? your father, your mother, your brothers, your sisters, even your own life, than Jesus? Do you love them less? What is Jesus talking about here with bearing a cross? Jesus had not gone to the cross yet either. This is something else we have to realize when we read the Gospels, right? When Jesus brings up, hey, you got to bear your own cross. Guess what? These people do not know that Jesus is going to the cross. They don't know that yet. So all they're hearing is, why are you talking about a cross? Like crosses are for criminals. And you're telling me that I have to bear my own cross? Okay, Jesus, are you telling me I need to be a criminal? I mean, that, that, that would be the process of thought happening here. But that's, that's not what Jesus is saying. What is Jesus saying when he's talking about bearing a cross? Bearing a cross, like I said, is something that criminals did. Um, a commentary, I love this, it points this out. In the Roman world, before a man died on a cross, he had to carry his cross to the place of execution. We know this to be true from Jesus' story, right? That Jesus carries his own cross all the way up to Golgotha. And actually a man, Joseph of Arimathea, helps him do so because he literally can't. The beam is so heavy. The splinters are going into his body. He can't carry it. This was the punishment for execution. When Romans crucified a criminal, they didn't just hang them on a cross. They first hung a cross on them. So the question then is, Jesus, what is this cross that I have to bear? I thought you already bared my cross. So what's the one I have to bear? I think what Jesus is trying to point out to them is this, that 
in order to follow me, remember, because that's what this is about. In order to come after me and to be my disciple, to be one that learns from me, to be one that follows me, to be one that becomes like me, you have to bear your own cross. And to be like Jesus means to endure humiliation and hardship in this world. We've said this a couple weeks ago. If you follow Jesus, we shouldn't expect our life to look much different than the way the world treated him. Your cross, part of the cost of following Jesus is that the world is not going to be okay with the way you choose to live your life. They're just not. You're going to have hardship. You're going to have people who are not going to like you because you're choosing to follow Jesus. And that is not easy. It's part of the reason Jesus is saying, hey, guys, I know you're all following me, but pause for a second and think. Do you know the cost? It's not easy. It's not this following a trend. They don't know it yet, but Jesus knows his life is headed toward a cross. And he's trying to get them to understand that that's where their life is headed as well. Not a physical cross, but a cross to bear in this world that won't like them, that will reject them. Jesus is trying to get them to understand bearing their own cross. Christ, and here's the best part, is that Christ even though he calls us to bear our own cross, bared it himself first for us. Every inch of the road ahead of you and I have been walked by Jesus. And in his finished work and in his strength, now you and I are called to bear our own cross. We don't do this out of our own strength. We don't do this out of our own gusto. We don't do this out of our own pull up your bootstraps and we're going to get this done. No, we do this because Christ in us has done it. Okay. So he stops and turns here. Do we have or have we ever come to a Jesus like this one in this passage? I love the famous Jesus who says wise and cool things. He would have been very tweetable. He also probably would have had the most TikTok followers considering his miracles, right? All those things would have been pretty cool to look at and to follow. Notice where this conversation is happening, though. It's not in a special synagogue. It's not on some high mountain. It's not an important dinner. Nope, it's on the way. It's a key phrase, on the way. Jesus, has Jesus ever turned to you and spoken to you while you've just been on your way? I'm not talking about big milestone moments where you've been at a retreat or you've just had like an amazing mission trip. No, no. When you've just been on your way. And Jesus has just turned to you in his locked eyes and said, have you counted the cost to follow me? Because the road is hard, but it's worth it. And he stops and he turns and he says, if anyone comes to me 
and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brother and sister, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Hate compared to devotion. What else is second place? All these things that I wrote up here, Jesus is saying, count the cost because these things can no longer be number one in your life ever again. Can you enjoy them? Absolutely. But second place of whatever it is in your life should be so far apart from where Christ sits as first. And this is where idols come in. Because you know the biggest threat to first place is second. Because when you're second place, you're close enough to sneak into first. And it's usually the really good things in our life that get to second place. And sneak their way into being first. The greatest competition to first place is always second. Now Jesus pauses on the way and tells them the future here. He says, it will cost you something to follow me. Not all will continue. Many will fade. Many will give up because the cost is too high. Look at verse 28. For which of you desire to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost. Whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. Saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king going out to encounter another king in war would not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. If not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. Jesus gives us two examples here of counting the cost. Two examples here of counting the cost. The first one is of the builder. And the key phrase here for both of them is, have you actually sat down and considered what it might mean for the rest of your life if you decide to follow Jesus? What will it mean for the rest of your life if you sit down and you count the cost? The builder, if you just start building something, I'll give an example here. Uh, One of my favorite things, this is a joke, but favorite things to build is Ikea furniture, right? Ikea furniture is so much, so joyful to build. So you're building it. I literally, we have a bookcase in our house. I built almost all of it, and I get to the end, and the very first piece that I put in was wrong. So I had put everything in, and it was on the wrong side. And I, and righteous anger in this moment, not righteous anger in this moment. And I'm like, I think I threw it, actually. I don't know if Tara was on. But I was, I was so angry. I didn't sit down when I started Right? There's some boys in here that may, maybe girls too that feel this, but hey, you get a project and you kind of have an instruction pamphlet, but then you just have like screws and some other stuff, and you're like, I'll, I'll refer to that when I need to. And you're just like trying to put it together, right? That's not counting the cost. That's not sitting down and deliberating what is it going to take. I always think it's funny when I open up the book and they tell you, like, you're supposed to have four of these and five of these and eight of these. I don't ever count them. I don't know who does. Maybe someone does, and maybe they get this passage more than me. Okay? I don't usually count them. I'm usually like, 
sure, I guess they're all there. Let's just go ahead. I've never had that moment, maybe you guys have, where you've gotten to the end, you're like, oh my gosh, I'm two screws short. What am I going to do now? That hasn't happened to me yet. But when you're building something, it is important to know that you have enough material. It's important to know you have enough help. It's important to know that you have the plan. You know where you're going. You know the next step. All that is important when you're building. And as he says here, once you've laid a foundation and you're not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock you, right? It would be like someone starting a building and just putting up cinder blocks and then that building stays that way forever. People, maybe you have a building you're thinking of right now that you've driven by, you've looked at and you're like, what in the world happened here? They didn't count the cost. They drove by and were like, cinder blocks, that's it, done? They didn't count the cost. They got to a point and didn't know how much it was going to cost. And Jesus is saying, don't be that person that follows me, that follows me for a little while and then realizes that the cost is too high, it's too much, and I can't do this. And the second thing he talks about is the king, that a king has enough men to actually go into battle, right? It would be dumb for a king to look at his army and go, should be enough, right? Let's head in. No, a king would want to send someone out ahead of time, figure out how many people they have, figure what kind of military uh, weapons they may have, what hill they're coming from, what side they're coming from. All those things he would want to figure out before he goes into battle. He wouldn't just say, nah, scrap it all. We're flying by the seat of our pants. Let's just head in. Those are the people that get killed in battle because they didn't count the cost ahead of time. So sitting down and counting the cost. The last verse, verse 33 says, So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. We must count the cost to Christ first. This is important. There was a cost for Christ. Attaining triumph over sin and death is no small thing. Raising from the dead is no small thing. It could only be accomplished by one God-man. When Jesus came to earth and put on flesh, he knew what the costs were. He knew that he was going to be part of a sinful and broken world that was going to hate him, that was going to mock him, that was going to spit on him and ultimately torture him to death and put him on a cross. Jesus knew that when he was coming here. He knew the cost. But the cost to him was worth it because guess what the cost was to him that was worth it? You and me. When he left heaven and came here and put on flesh and stuck his place into our nasty situation, we became the reward for that cost. You and I became the reward for the torture that he took on the way to the cross, dying on the cross, and then raising from the dead. You were the one he had on his mind. The cost was worth it to him. Because the reward was so much better. And Jesus is trying to get them to understand the same thing. But it is important to know the cost and the reward. Did you say yes 
to a different Jesus than the one that's in this scripture? How many of you have made a hasty decision to follow Jesus? I want you to really think about this real quick. This is super important. Those of you in this room who have who would say that I am a Christ follower. How did you make that decision? What did you think about? Did you think about what he's asking here? I'm not asking you to question your salvation. That's not what this is about. What I'm asking you is if you didn't sit down and and think about these things can't be number one anymore. Christ becomes our King and our Lord when we choose him. He doesn't just become a trend in our life. You have to know the cost. Have you actually responded to a call to follow Jesus or have you just accepted him as something you're going along with right now? Until it doesn't really suit you anymore. The story before this, I'm going to read real quick as we close. In Luke 14, 15 through 24 says, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses and first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it because please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I have to go examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife and therefore cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to the master. And skip down to verse 24. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Jesus has stopped and looked at you and me and asked, are you going to make excuses? Or will other things start to come up? If anyone is my disciple, he must give up all for me. Because Christ gave up all for you. I want you to hear that. He's not asking you because he hasn't done anything. No, he's actually asking you because he's done everything. Christ gave everything up for you. He was forsaken by his own father for you. He took on the wrath of a God, all-powerful God for you and for me. And now he's asking, will you give it up up all for me? He led first. And just like the beauty of any time you've been to a marriage, right? And a couple stands up there and they make vows to one another. That I vow before everyone that you will, be, you will become before everyone else. That's what Jesus is asking of us. I've led. I've showed you that I love you unconditionally. I just need to hear from you that I'm going to come before everything else in your life. That's what he's asking you tonight.
That's the cost. Is Jesus going to come before everything else? The next three weeks, we're going to look at three major cost categories. Next week, we're going to look at what does it really look like to count the cost of our material possessions. The week after that, we're going to look at um, our actual life. And then after that, we're going to look at acceptance. Before you say yes to what Jesus has done for you, Jesus has asked you to count the cost and you make a choice. So look and see what Jesus has done for you. He's given it all for you. He's asking that you give it all for him.